Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Needs, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. What's new, what's new and fun with you? Oh, my goodness. Um, I just feel like time is moving faster than ever as we switch into fall here. Um, we've just been trying to wrap up 
like house projects before the weather changes too much and um, still introducing new goatees, got together with some friends and played with Artemisia Vulgaris. Um, lots of stuff. How about you? What's new with you? Mm-hmm. Wow, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a red clover plant that started growing in one of the pots on the deck, and there wasn't much else in it, so I really said, yes, go, 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 and I've been harvesting, oh, about a dozen blossoms a day from it. Oh, my God, how easy and marvelous. That's what a blessing. So, hey, container gardening. Nettle goes, grows great in containers, you know. Nettle has a pretty shallow root system. It wants to spread, not go deep. Red clover, easy to grow in containers, you know, wants to grow as a weed, Right. Oat straw. I don't think there's anything easier to grow than oat straw. Drop some actual oat seed on the ground, walk on it a little, and stand back. Mm-hmm. Comfrey. What do you mm-hmm. think? Is it hard to grow comfrey? No, not at all. Not at all. I just planted some. <laughs> they are already sprouting through the surface with big green leaves in like less than two weeks. Right? Oh, amazing, mm-hmm. amazing, and. And I would say the only one that's at all problematic would be linden. But it grows so profusely throughout the temperate regions of the world that it is always easily available to be traded, but... Uh, if you don't actually live where linden grows, if you don't live in the areas where it grows, which is a lot of the planet, China, right, all the way, uh, you know, through the middle and all the way into England and the United States, that whole temperate band there is where linden grows. It may not be, strictly speaking, a weed, although, of course, because I have a linden tree, I do have weed lindens in my garden. <laughs> no. Oh, that's a fun blessing, too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you have to decide, hmm, how much of this am I going to let grow? Oh, mm. dear, dear. And, yes, feeling that wonderful change with the, the joy of the plants with the rain. And it has been, well, it was raining last Tuesday, and it's raining this Tuesday, and it's rained off and on almost every day. Sit ponds and reservoirs and streams are full and the plants are green, although some of them have already switched over to fall colors. They just like couldn't couldn't make it that far into the drought. But many of them have like you know, taken a deep breath and are still green for another couple of weeks yet. Nice. Oh, I bet the roots are happy. They know that everything above ground is feeling refreshed and carrying on. Right, and they're like like finally hearing. And the mycelium. Everywhere I look, mushrooms are starting to pop up. They said, oh, yes, yes, this is what we've been waiting for. And, of course, mycelium mysteries out in Wisconsin. Mm. I talked to Eagle Song last night. Eagle Song um, created the Pacific... um, West Coast Women's Herbal, let's see, what does she call, call the Pacific Women's Herbal Conference. 
<clears throat> and um, she has this year decided that she really likes to travel and that what she wants to do is she wants to travel from women's conference to women's conference. So she started out at the California Women's Herbal Conference and then she was just at Red Moon, um, focalized by Astrid, another past apprentice. And now she's on her way to Linda Conroy's, to Mycelium Mysteries. Oh, my another goodness. Past, another past apprentice. What a fun time, hmm. huh? <laughs> fun teacher to show up at all those conferences. Eagle Song is amazing. She is. She is. And I just got um, a notice from Linda Conroy that if you're willing to go to Mycelium Mysteries and somehow you just, you know, don't think you have the money, get in touch with her. There's still some scholarships. I don't know if there's scholarships for the whole conference or just for a day or a pre-conference thing or what it is, but there is still some openings for anyone who says, give me a little hand, please. Hmm. Hmm. What else? What I got I got the most beautiful, beautiful thing in the mail called the Permaculture Design Deck. And it's like six sets of tarot cards. There's like oh. seriously a lot of cards. The big box. The box is like, oh, I don't know, like maybe five inches by six inches with all these the cards, two, you know, stacks of cards in it. And um, let me get into here. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Permaculture, permaculture, permaculture. Permaculture, do we have an index? Are you going to tell us about these cards in here in this book? Lots of thanks. Ways to mm. play, core concepts, explain cards, problem solving, principles. Um, no, I guess they're not going to tell us. Oh, yes, here we go. Purple is frames. Green is tools. Kind of olive color is design principle. Bright yellow is strategic principles. Blue is attitudinal principles. Red is ethical principles. And there's a vision tree. Ah, so just so you know, the permacultural design deck is available. I'm not sure who, let's see, does it say in the back here? www.permaculturedesign.earth. Wow. Okay. And that's by Delvin and Grace. I know Delvin and Grace from the um, Cosm Church of the Sacred Mirrors. Alex Gray and his wife. Mm. Or they they were involved and <clears throat> got me there to teach about fairies at this beautiful nature place that they have where they're building this church. And he's now returned to his roots. An Beautiful. older member of his 
older member of his family died and left a piece of, <clears throat> as the tax collector says, undeveloped land. Mm-hmm. And Delvin and Grace have moved on to this land in a little trailer. Wow, is that in New York or in the Northeast? No, it's, it's about as far away as you can get. It's in British Columbia. Wow. I, you know, I remember when Delvin was a guest on Blog Talk one evening, and he, you and he had the most delightful conversation. He, I so enjoyed what he shared and what the two of you exchanged. So, wow, what a beautiful deck. I'm curious to check it out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, my goodness. What else? We have a storyteller tonight at 9. And she is going to not only tell us her story, she's going to tell us about story and why story is important and especially why the stories of older women are important. Devorah Spillman at 9 o'clock tonight. Stay with us or come on back at 9 and hear Devorah's story and how she can help you find and tell your story. Do we have anybody with questions tonight? We do. We have a hand raised, and I'll remind everyone else listening that if you would like us to see you raise your hand, press 1, and we will see your hand go up in the queue, and you will be in line to speak live with Susan. Our first caller that has pressed 1 is dialed in from the 559 area code. From the 559, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi. Um. I am so happy that the weather is cooling down here in Me California. Too. <laughs> yeah, it's been a really hot summer. Um, so I got um, a cat a cat bite, and so I have a couple of punctures on my leg, and this happened a few days ago. And um, I've been using a potato poultice, and that really feels nice because it was it was hot and um, painful, and the potato seems to kind of cool it. It sure does. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, and I've also, and I was use I was doing a salt rinse, and I ran out of salt, so I started doing a rosemary rent um and i'm just curious i've i've never had a puncture wound before and so i am wondering about keep, keeping it open or keeping it wet or keeping it dry um i know that you have some experience with with wounds so i'm wanting to learn <laughs> Tell me more about the cat and tell me more about the bite. So it was a um, a cat that was brought to my home. It's a pet, and it has all of its shot, and 
um, it sort of got overstimulated and and bit me. And um, it bit you on the leg as you were walking, as you were standing. Yes, I was standing, and it came up to me and started brushing up against me, doing the that cat brushing. And then I right, was, as right. I was walking, yeah, as I was trying to walk, um, it you know it got overexcited and bit me. So you were standing there, and the cat came up to you and started rubbing up against your leg, and you took a step, and the cat bit you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And did the cat let go on its own? It did. Yeah. I like, I'd, I'd just, like, turn around and bit you and then let go. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. It seemed like it scared itself even to bite me. Yes, I did. Yes, exactly. It didn't. Uh-huh. The wound is not very deep. It, you know, I don't think so. I mean, um, there's there's one that the, the really. Tooth gets, the tooth gets bigger as it uh-huh. goes up, and it's a little yeah. serrated so uh-huh. that the prey can't pull loose. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh-huh. So if the cat could just let go, then it didn't bite you very far. Okay, great. Good. Right? And you're doing great. I do not understand run out of salt. Go to your neighbor, go to the store, go to the ocean, get some salt. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I should keep doing the salt. It's a staple. Get five pounds of salt. Have some salt on it. I've been harvesting shisandra yeah. and making shisandra salt because that was the favorite thing. I did make some shisandra tincture. I made half a gallon of shisandra tincture and um, so did mm. it. So did Justine and so did Lisa. There's so many shisandra berries. But now what I'm doing is I put them into a little um, glass yogurt jug and poured salt on them. And the salt is like pulling the moisture out of them and out of the air. And there's this pink brine coming out of it. And wow. as, right, as I use that and as they sit there, they'll just get like harder and then they can be ground up and used as a seasoning. A salty mm. seasoning. Yeah. So mm, yay salt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. important. Mm. Only about ten mm-hmm. percent of the population is actually sensitive to salt in terms of blood pressure. And for most mm-hmm. people, if you're not eating processed food, it's almost impossible to put too much salt on your food if you're making your food yourself. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's not even really salt, salty salt, so it's sodium chloride that is the main problem. You probably notice that <clears throat> usually the statistics say this much sodium because there's sodium phosphate and sodium this and sodium that, which are used mm-hmm. as preservatives in food. And that's where a lot mm-hmm. of the sodium diet is coming from, hmm. not not from the use of 
<clears throat> salt as a seasoning. And you know mm-hmm. that one of the easiest ways, if you think that you are using too much salt, which as I've already established is hard to do, to use less is to take any herb that you like to eat and grind it up with some salt and then use that as a condiment. So I have, mm. right right now I have nettle salt and I have thyme salt and I have sage salt and I have shiso salt from last year. Get some salt. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, and, you're, and you're just fine with what you're doing. If you should think that there's an infection, if there's a red streak that starts going up your leg, then you, mm-hmm. have, then you have, I hope, some anti-infective herbs on hand. Yes. Yes, I have that, Kanisha. Perfect. Perfect, perfect. Mm-hmm. You're set. Okay. All righty. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for calling. Tree blessings. Yeah, good night. I'm gonna get some salt. Okay. Good night. Salt. All right. Great. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> bye bye. All right. Everyone listening, if you've got a question and would like to speak live with Susan this evening, you need to press one so that we can see your hands go up in the queue. And this time, I don't see any raised hands. We do have um, two email questions. If you would like to go there. Yes, but let's just take a moment to bask in a world without problems. Mm-hmm. You know, so easy to feel that every moment of every day is taken up with the problems of the world. And our brains are designed to focus on the problems. It's a good survival instinct to focus on the problems. So it actually requires, shall we say, an effort of will or an effort of intention to say, hey, look at this. Right now, at this moment, there are no problems. Mm. Let's just Mm -hmm. enjoy that moment of no problems. (laughs) I was thinking today about my upbringing and that I certainly wasn't cosseted, but I was protected in many ways. And I see that that we all, um, all the people that I know, make some effort to do that with their children to protect them from, shall we call it, the grim realities of life. Hmm. And uh, how cataclysmic it was for me when I left home and came face-to-face with those realities. Mm-hmm. Volunteering at the Rape Crisis Center at UCLA, thinking I would be there to help women and finding actually that I was simply part of the team that was um, re-traumatizing them on top of the trauma they just had. Mm-hmm. Still a problem. Mm. Not as bad a problem. Other women like me stood up and said no. 
No, you're not going to do this to a woman who's just been subjected to violent sexual assault. You're not going to reassault her physically or psychologically. We're going to have to find another way to do this. And so I am glad to say that there is some progress made. Thank you. Yeah, well, I was amazed, Cover, when I was doing the presentation for the goddess conference that Jushana Budapest just put on out in the Redwoods in California, was that Jushana Budapest created Take Back the Night. Wow. She was the first one to do a Take Back the Night march. She created the whole Hmm. concept. So proud of her. How beautiful. No wonder I feel, you know, so aligned with her, you know, from her staunch advocacy for women and for women to be taken seriously to her. And I think I talked a little last week about how in 1976, the goddess conference, the first goddess conference called Through the Looking Glass, that I went to in Boston, where Jujana was a presenter, um, that that changed me, partly because of Jujana, partly because of Mary Daly, but partly because here are these women that I exalted, and they're eating food. So I realized that I needed to... Um, bring the goddess to the herbal community and bring herbs to the goddess community. Mm. Wow. Thank goodness. What a blessing. I'll personally say that on behalf of myself. I am so Thank you. (laughs) And I would say in my report card that I've been far more successful in bringing the goddess to the herbal community than I have been in bringing herbs to the goddess community. (laughs) But... That's the way it is sometimes. You excel in one subject, but not in them all. (laughs) (laughs) All right. If we don't have any hands raised, let's have one of those email questions. All right. Well, we do actually now have two hands that have gone up. So we'll go to the number, well, the first hand that went up is from the 907. From the 907, you are live with Susan. Hello, Susan. Hi. (laughs) I have a question. Uh, This past weekend, uh, we had like a a harvest festival, and there's a physician that claims he's an herbalist. A red flag went up for me when he said, this this was several years ago, that he makes um, St. Joan's wort with dried herb that he buys. (laughs) Oops, oops. <laughs> so this weekend he was demonstrating different jellies. So he made a jelly out of mountain ash berries. Uh-huh. And and uh there was a native woman that tasted it and she walked over to me and she goes, That's poison. I'm going to have to tell him when the, <laughs> I'm going to have to tell him that there's something wrong with that. Can you make jelly out of mountain ash? 
Yes. Mountain ash is in the same family as hawthorn, crabapple, cherry peach, rose. Okay. So, yes. Will it taste good? He doesn't know how to make it taste good. Okay, because she spit it out and she was like, no, that that is poison. <laughs> I remember I remember the first spring that my rowan, my mountain ash, was blooming. And I walked out my front door, and there it was covered in blooms. And I went, oh, what a heavenly smell. And I went over and stuck my nose in the flowers. And the pollinator of those flowers flies. You can imagine what they smelled like. Right. What I was following was the Shisandra around the corner of the house, which was also in bloom that day. So Rowan can taste like that. It's not always really nice tasting. Usually people wait until it's been frosted, if at all possible. Okay. Um... So, trying to, I know I put up some rowan berry stuff. What do I have here? Everything but rowan. Every single thing we've got. Cleavers, lavender, hawthorn, wild cherry. Anything you want, Susan, except what you want, right? Of course. Hypericum. <laughs> well... Cedar berries. Oh, what interesting things you have. (laughs) (laughs) What interesting things you have, my pretty. (laughs) There you go. Rowan Vodka. 9-11-21. This is exactly a year old. Well, a year year and two days. Right? A year and two days. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, let's see what this tastes like. (laughs) It does not smell disgusting in any way. Mmm. If I were Russian, I think I would get out a glass and have a whole glass of this. It's quite tasty. So I just have to wait. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try because I was like, when she said that, <laughs> and the expression, the way she spit it out. I was right, like, right, right, right. Does right. this man no, I'm not know sure. what he's doing? What does he know what he's doing? Well, if it really was the right tree, yes. See, that's the other <laughs> question. I have only your word for it that it's Mount Nash. And basically, you have only his word for it? Or did you check it out that it was actually mountain ash? Did you get to see the tree? I didn't see the tree. And um, after her expression and the way she spit it out, I I wasn't going to go taste it. (laughs) So so we don't even really know that he made it at mountain ash berries, do we? Exactly. It could have been 
those red elderberry, wild elderberry. That's possible. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm very suspicious. And this is a guy that wears a chaga shirt and hacks chaga, you know, sells, sells chaga. You know, I mean, there's only so much chaga around and people have been hacking it all off. That's my experience, too. There's not a bit left in my woods. Mm. So I very much agree with you that there's an over-harvesting issue and a misuse issue with chaga, which I was taught to use basically in extremis. What's in extremis? It was like, this is chaga... When everything else has failed, you can try this. Oh. Somebody has cancer and nothing else has done it, you can try this. Somebody's in horrible pain and nothing has helped, you can try this. It was like, this this is like, if this doesn't work, they're going to die kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty ridiculous. I, you go to the markets and, you know, peop, everyone's got like a, big box, hacked up chunks, you know, selling it very, you know, it's expensive. And people aren't really buying it. So I feel bad for the tree. That's what's going on. It usually grows on trees that are dead, right? Um... At least in my woods, I've seen, who on dead birch trees. I've seen them on birch trees, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I've seen some that are alive. But that the, the, the chog is way up on the top. There's like a small growth. Right. Where, yes, chog is usually quite high. So Again... Giving us a strong indication, stay away. Yes, stay away. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so I just wanted to I just wanted to hear what you had to say about such and such. I, you know, what really pushed my button was when somebody told me that you could go to Starbucks and get chaga in your coffee or in your latte and I'm like <gasps> Oh no. Oh, my gosh. Right. And, and it's, I will tell you honestly, it is one of the reasons that I have done my best to be very careful about what herbs I popularize. Exactly. You're, right? We're yes, pretty sure that dandelion is not going to come to any harm no matter how many people eat it. <laughs> But right. Chaga is. Chaga is, and you don't see it. There's that a much. wonderful book called Planting the Future by uh, the United Plant Savers Organization. Um, I'm one of the, I think there are oh, 28, 30 authors of Planting the Future. And so we talk about medicinal plants that are, uh, they're not endangered. We're not really talking about endangered plants at all. And pretty much through my lifetime, you know, 
Um, I certainly have seen a big corner turn there. When I started, first started studying herbal medicine, a lot of things were used um, herbally that we would never dream of using now, like lady slipper, ferns, things that we've just like taken off off the cart of possibilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but plants like, for instance, I was asked to write about Mitchell repens. Uh, which is also known as partridge berry. And squawvine actually talk about it in Wise Woman or both of the childbearing year. And I said, well, that's, there's no problem with that plant. I mean, it's like, like the understory of my forest because there's so many deer there and the deer browse. And so they browse the trees up and they don't let shrubs grow. But like Michella repens, which is a matting, creeping plant, basically just covers the floor of the forest everywhere, except mm-hmm. where it's actually mm-hmm. actively wet, right? So it's not growing in the springs or in the little swamps or any of those places. But mm-hmm. anyway, as soon as you get up to dry land, boop, there's Michella. Right? And they said, yes, that's why we're having you write about it. You live in one of its intact ecosystems. Mm. And that was a whole story in itself, too, because it used to be that um, the north, northern forests were maintained for paper use. And oh. so they remained forests and with um, the ecological cutting back of using paper, it didn't become econo- economically feasible to keep those forests. And so they were sold and developed in houses built there. Mm. So the forest where Michella Reppens grows, like my uninhabited forest, are starting to disappear. Yes, it is. Planting the future. It's a wonderful I like to get that. Yeah, it sounds excellent. Well, thank you, Susan. Marka, thanks for calling. Dream blessings. Good night. Dream blessings. Good night. All right. And I'll remind everyone listening, if you've got a question and would like to speak live with Susan this evening, press 1 so that we can see your hand go up in the queue. Uh, we have one caller that has raised their hand. And you're looks like you're calling from a Skype number. Uh, from the Skype call, you are live with Susan. Hello, Susan. Thank you for taking my call. Yes. Yes, I called you around early 2021, and I said that I had or have about a cataract. Kind of young to get it, but there it is. And you were good enough to recommend just increasing my uptake of cooked vegetables versus just the raw vegetables and include some egg in my diet, which has worked superbly. I haven't had any decrease in vision. As a matter of fact, it's been an uptick. Uh, my glasses changed prescription, so my eyes have gotten a little better. And I just wanted to keep you abreast of that and say thank you. It was excellent, simple advice. It worked wonderfully. I'm smiling from ear to ear, of course. Thank you for calling. Mm. Oh, Letting of us know yet. 
today, and she said, drinking nourishing herbal infusions helped me finally stop biting my nails. Oh, that too. I'm uh, very partial to the stinging nettle infusion. I partake of that on a regular basis. Uh, that's my personal favorite. So that along with uh, more cooked veg and throwing an egg in my diet, uh, again, very simple thing to do, but it worked wonders. I'm still kind of shook about that, but it did. And I said to her, how could the infusions make you stop biting your nails? She said, they mineralize, infusions mineralize me to the point, A, my nails didn't break and need to be bitten. <laughs> right? And B, they were too hard to bite. And I laughed and I said, yes, my nails are too hard to bite. We actually got started on this because during a Zoom call with her, I was clipping a fingernail. She said, you're clipping that fingernail. She said, I would, I would have just bitten it. I said, my fingernails are too hard to bite. I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and she Understood. said, yes. Now, mine are too. She said, I can't bite my fingernails anymore because of nourishing herbal infusions. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, as you were soaking in the moment of uh, a fewer, less problems on the planet, there's one less problem on the planet and some improvement to boot. So uh, I think many, many, many thanks. Green blessings and uh, on to your next uh, call and uh, I'll be listening on the internet. Green blessings. Thank you for sharing with us. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Okay, and it looks like we don't have and the head up yet in the queue. Uh, so would you like to pause for another moment? Um, on to the email, or how, where would you like to go? Well, let's see. We didn't get to any of the email yet, did we? Nope, we have not yet done that. <clears throat> so let's do at least one of the emails. All right. Um, we have two, and the first one is a long one, so I'm, it, I'll just take me a moment to read it. Um, hi, Susan. I'm reading. I'm writing because I am too embarrassed and afraid to call. Almost three weeks ago, I was outside in the yard, and I noticed my cat, who usually stays inside, was watching me through the entry window. I decided to open the door and let him out since I would be there to keep an eye on him. It is something that I've done in the past, and he loves it. Somewhere in the course of my yard work, I needed to go small, lidded, storage shed for a tool. I did not notice that the cat must have followed me there. Uh, I left I left, and an hour or so later when I finished with the tool, I took it back to the open storage shed. I was in a hurry and I quickly put the tool in and shut the lid. Fast forward and I finally realized that I had not seen the cat since I had come inside and it was now dinner. I felt a streak of panic and went out to call him, but he did not show up. I had to go to bed without knowing where he was. The next morning, I called him and shook the food jar outside, but he did not show up. I had to go to work. I looked for him for three more days before I had a horrible thought about the storage shed. 
I flew over to the storage shed, but when I got there, I could not bring myself to open it because I knew that's where he would be. When I opened the shed, my sweet kitty was in there. How could I forget to check the shed? I ask myself this so many times every day, and I still have no answers or way to offer myself reprieve. Please help me. How do I forgive myself for killing my beloved cat? I want him back with me more than anything, and it hurts so much knowing that it was my actions that are why he is now absent from my life. Please, anything you can offer, green blessings. So now, let's see. She was outside. She picked up her cat. She put her cat in this bin, and then she shut the lid. Oh, no, that's not what she said. Uh, The cat jumped in the bin? Is that correct? That's that's what, yeah, that's what it sounded like. Yeah, the cat went in the bin. The cat made a choice. The cat made a choice. She did not put the cat in the bin. She came back to the bin. Granted, she just opened it and tossed it to him in. But, Sarah Ellen, if you had been locked in that bin for even a short while and somebody opened the lid, what would you do? I think I'd run out. I'd be so grateful. <laughs> I'd try to run out. I'd scream. I'd scratch. I'd jump. I would do something, yes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm taking it that the cat did not do any of those things. In my times, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, I heard a lot of this. How can I ever forgive myself for causing the death of my beloved fill-in-the-blank? How can I ever forgive myself for causing the death in none of these instances, including this instance, was that person the cause were they involved yes were they responsible no might it have been different Of course. But it isn't. One of the greatest skills of the shaman is to stay in reality. You know, we think of shamans as like traveling, you know, the far ranges. But really, in fact, one of the primary skills of a shaman is to be in reality as it actually is. Because that's not very easy to do, is it? 
Not always. Not not at all. Distractions call so easily. Not just distractions, but demons. How can I forgive myself for causing the death of my beloved? That is a top-ranking demon, isn't it? That's a demon that that rides one forever. Mm. That's a demon that cuts a hole in your heart and lets all the love drain out. Mm. No blame. No blame. You don't have to blame the cat either. How could that stupid cat jump into that box and then not even like meow or scratch or make any effort of any kind to get out? What? But we could be. And in fact, it can be somewhat curative. If you're somewhat stuck in how can I forgive myself, is to really be upset at the stupidity of a cat to do that and to cause you so much grief it was one of those cataclysmic earthquake events when I realized at Elizabeth's side Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's Side that you always get a choice. You can choose to say, how can I ever forgive myself for causing the death of my beloved? And let me tell you, I've been in some situations where it was a lot, lot closer to home. I lived on land with a woman who's an auto mechanic. She fixed brakes in her teenage daughter's car, and those brakes failed, and her daughter died in the accident. How can I ever forgive myself for causing the death of my beloved? It's not to be tolerated. No blame. How can I forgive my beloved for going off and leaving me, mourning them? Better. No blame. Because our task is to keep on living with joy in reality as it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
like I like how you're talking about the reality of it because as painful as the reality is, it's also what anchors when I find myself in really painful spot. It's what anchors me to that present moment in some way. It, it gives me a place to at least start from so that I can move forward. And, um, yeah, the reality of it. Sometimes it's heavy or it feels um, like I don't know how I'm going to move through it, but it is a starting place for the reality. Yeah. So she did not, not cause her cat's death. Her cat, her cat did. She and her cat had a relationship, and she, of course, is going to acknowledge and feel her involvement in that. I believe that it is more honoring to. Grieve without abusing ourselves. If her cat has any connection to her, I don't think her cat would be happy with her attitude. So, we also want to remember that the brain replays horrible things over and over again. So it's quite likely that she is subjecting herself to an instant replay over and over again, day and night, of her cat dying in agony. Which she has made up. We don't know that that's so. Again, it seems very strange that an animal trapped somewhere and unhappy about it would not set up some kind of a fuss, but would attract some kind of attention. And that it didn't tell me perhaps something else was going on. I don't know. And my favorite way of getting out of that is to choose a color. And whenever that comes up, and now I knew my goats had burned to death in the barn. I mean, that was an actual fact. That was an actual reality. But when that came up, I reminded myself that I wasn't there. I didn't know what happened. And I looked at the color green. And I said, green, 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 green to give my mind something else to focus on because it certainly wasn't going to help. And it wasn't going to help me and it wasn't going to help anyone around me for me to say, how can I ever forgive myself for causing the death of my beloved? Any hands raised? 
I don't see any hands raised yet. Lots of people in the queue. Uh, if you have a question and would like to speak live with Susan this evening, you need to press one so that we can see your hand go up in the queue. Uh, we do, here we go. We have a hand that has gone up from the 585 area code. From the 585, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. This is Barbara. Glad to talk to you and be on this call with wisdom. Thank you. Thank you. I have a question about crabgrass. And I can't seem to find any information online except how to kill it, except um, I've been communing with it (laughs) this summer. And um, I don't know if they're connected or if I'm finding something else, but there are these little hard-shelled seeds that ended up sort of on the sidewalk patio. And I either looked it up and found it or I intuited it or both that it came from the crabgrass. And um, it, it, I say, think, again, what, say again what it was that came from the crabgrass? Um, so I could be wrong that it came from the crabgrass. It might have been from another weed, but there was a, like a very hard-shelled, tiny, whitish, um, hard-shelled seed, and I had to crack it to open. Very, very tiny. Just one? Um, I see them all around, you know? Like, I don't know if the birds are pulling them up or what, but um, I assumed that it came from the crabgrass because when I I think I looked it up online and it said you could harvest, there's sort of like a Polish know-it that, that it's called that are the seeds of the crabgrass. Now, I could be confusing two things, which is why I'm calling and asking. And also, I'm wondering if I can juice the crabgrass. So I know there's a lot of questions in there. All right, let's start here. The seeds of all grasses are edible. Okay. Well, that makes it easy now, doesn't it? <laughs> However, that said, many grass seeds have, as you noted, a very hard, very durable outer coat. Right. Wheat, for instance. Rice, for instance. Why does most of the world eat white rice because of that hard outer coat on the rice? Mm. That increases, doubles the cooking time if you eat your rice with that hard outer coat on it. So, given that all grass seeds are edible, it doesn't mean that we can easily eat them. Uh, Our teeth are absolutely not designed to crack them. Certainly this is one of the places where fire comes in very, very handy. It's usual that grasses produce an abundance of seeds. Think of a stalk of wheat or a stalk of rice or even an ear of corn. Mm. Grasses aren't plants that produce seeds in pods. They have like ears of corn, right? Mm. Or an ear of wheat. And what I know is crabgrass has a flower followed by seeds 
that looks kind of like a chicken's foot. It's like a three-part thing. Okay. Is that what you know as crabgrass? Well, I'm imagining it, it sort of grows into with the bees or the flower part. It, it grows up, and there's and I'm get, imagining that what you're describing is the that part, and it um, that would be the seed. I'm I'm guessing, but and so I'm imagining that this other thing that I found is not from the crabgrass. Um, but I haven't played around, or I, I actually put it in a pot to really look at it and befriend it. So it would be up high at my, you know, level. The, so really uh, explore. the grass? Yeah, the crabgrass. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. It, it's, all over. it's all over my yard, and it's all over the, it's growing in the, it's actually growing in the crack in the driveway. You know, it's everywhere. But, um, right, right, right. And so you were able to uproot it and put it in the pot? Yeah, I just did. I mean, just, just to, that, I, I did that with a lot of, I, I decided this summer that I was going to, just just throw things in a pot that grow around me already to really get to know them. And that's I'm just talking about one of them now, which is the crabgrass. Really great idea. Thank you. And I'm it's been just lovely, you know, and it's just regular. I and I just have to go back to what you said. Our task is to keep on living with joy and reality as it is. I just love that. I wrote it down. So um, oh. just Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And that's how it felt to me just this being with the plants, you know, in this way. So, like, this is just what's here. You know, I had a friend came over and she said, oh, you're the nature goddess. And I said, I mean, I just, it's just regular. So it's here, but there's so much joy. So the question is really, can, can, you, can I juice the crabgrass? Can I eat it? Can I, you know, there's one video online that I could find from a prepper and this guy was saying, you know, swears it cleared up every problem he'd ever had, and he is doing great. He can live on crabgrass. Okay, so I have a fine. picture here of crabgrass. And it has, a, um, <laughs> I don't know if this opens up into that three-pronged thing, but the okay. seeds that it's showing in this picture of crabgrass look more like a stalk of plantain seeds way at the top of the plant. So, again, what part of it did he use? The seeds? No, I think it was the grass part, right? So I think I think he was juicing the grass, but I, like, the, it sounded... Finger-like like heads, yes. Yes, that's just yes. what I thought it looked like. Okay, here's another one, and you can really see. Now, these, they're making them with, like, four and five, the ones around me have three or four, but that's okay. They're like, you know, like umbrella things or fingers, as they're calling them. Um so he was using what part of it? The green part of it? I think so. I think he was juicing it. Yeah. He actually he was he juicing had a wooden, it. like a mortar oh, that's, and, that's, and he added water and he just crushed it and so drank there the is water. No nutrition of any kind in raw juice. Oh, there isn't. Nothing. Okay. Suppose that I gave you a very sharp double edged sword and put you in a room filled floor-to-ceiling, wall-to-wall with glass marbles, and told you I would give you a million dollars for every marble you cut. How much money How much money would I be at? Oh. How many marbles are you going to cut with that very sharp, double-edged sword? 
And in fact, the cells of the plant are much, much smaller. Mm. In fact, a really better analogy, although it's not as good visually, is that I put you in a room with a double-edged sword filled with boobies and tell you, I'll give you a million dollars for every one you cut in half. Mm. Cells are very, very small. They're different sizes, but a normal size cell, a million of them will fit into a printed period. They have hard cell walls. If you have anything wooden around you, that's the cell walls of plants. So every one of those cell walls in the raw plant is intact. And there's no juicer that you have in your home that can break those cell walls. Now, Dr. Walker, who started the juicing idea, used a 20-ton hydraulic press, an industrial grinder, and said before he died that the whole juice movement was totally at the lunch because none of the equipment they were using would get anything from any plant. Hmm. Green drinks especially, which have a lot of chlorophyll in them, are quite useless because chlorophyll cannot be used by the human body. Mm. I don't know if you've ever eaten something that's very, very green or eaten a lot of very green things and noticed that your poo becomes green. Mm-hmm. Now, the placebo effect is well-known and well-validated. If you go to great lengths to find something, harvest it, prepare it in some difficult way and consume it, that in and of itself mm. can be enough to cure you. Okay. But it's not the crabgrass. I was, I was really hoping you were going to say it's like, like dandelion. Like I pick dandelion, I make dandelion green salads, and I was hoping that it was going to be in that. that well, what I want, thing. what I want you to do is to go to the crabgrass mm. and put your fingers on the edges of a blade, right? Blades of grass, they're flat, and they have edges. And I want you to hold the grass blade with one hand so that it's taut. And with the other hand, rub your fingers up and down the edges, and you will find out that every grass blade is serrated, and they are like little saws. Oh, yes. Yes? And that's about as good for your intestines as eating ground glass. Oh. Wow. Very interesting. He didn't eat the grass. He juiced it because it's not safe to eat grass leaves. We're not herbivores. Cows eat grass. Goats eat grass. Mm. Sheep. 
Deer eat grass. Humans don't eat grass leaves. We eat their seeds. I now and then we often. use a grass root. But not real often. Okay. Okay, this is making sense. And I will commune with that. I will talk to the crabgrass. But I get. I already feel what you're saying. I feel it. Um, can you... Do you have any idea what that seed was that I might have found, that little white seed? Because I did open it. I crushed it and I opened it. When you say small, are we talking DB, marble, pearl, (laughs) tooth, eyeball? What is small? Um, So it could probably balance on the head of a pen was a really hard outer shell. And I will, I'm going to tell you because I tasted it. It tasted amazing. It was, and I was like, what is this flavor? And it tasted like an intense almond flavor. Okay, well, that almond flavor is actually an indication of a poison. I was told that. My <laughs> <By a> friend. <laughs> I was told that after I called someone and I said, look, if I'm, if I'm, look, I did this. It tasted great. I felt like I was called to do it, but in case anything happens. And they said, oh, you know, that sounds like it could be um, arsenic. I'm, I'm alive. So here I am. Cyanide. Oh, cyanide. Okay. So. Hmm. It's in apple seeds. It's in peach pits. It's there's a yeah. it's called laetrile. Oh 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 oh. B seventeen. Huh. Right. What what might that have come from on my property? And that will be a mystery that you all have to figure out. Was it Doctor Mustard in the kitchen with the cleaver, or was it the, <laughs> the library with the candle? You will, by observation and watching, eventually come to the answer of it. There were some things it took me years and years and years to get the answer to. Who are you? What are you doing? Where did you come from? Tell me more about yourself. You know, you just have to be at the right place at the right time, and you'll see it. Ah, okay. Okay. Can I ask you one more question on a different subject? <laughs> yes. Unless Sarah Ellen says no, there's six people waiting. Oh, okay. Ah, there's one caller with her hand raised. One person. Okay, so go ahead. Okay. Um, I heard, I think it was maybe online, it was an interview with an indigenous person who talked about treating the breasts like, I don't know if they had fibrocystic breasts but, or something but it was a very unusual way by using some herbs, you know, um, vaginally. And they were saying that as it touches or enters through the cervix, it is taken into the body and treats the breast. And I have never heard of that before. And I'm just wondering. So let me, let me ask you this. Have you ever heard of vaginal estrogen cream? Yes, yes. And what do we know about the estrogen and vaginal estrogen cream? 
Well, it gets absorbed right into the whole body. It does not absorb oh. into the body oh, at all. Oh, I didn't know that. I guess I, I never used it. Oh, okay. It's quite interesting. In fact, some people believe that the uterus might have a separate immune system from the body's immune system since, after all, a fertilized egg is intruder, 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 right? Mm. Oh, I see, yeah. So there does seem to be something different going on, and so far as we know, nothing applied to the cervix gets into the blood. Okay. Huh. So you don't think there's a connection then? Is that, is that, am I understanding that correctly? I'm not saying that there isn't a connection, but it's a mental connection, not a physical one. Well, what what about when the baby's born and they say, you know, nurse the baby so that, you know, your uterus tightens up. So I remember nursing my babies and could feel... Yes. The, right. yes. Or, and, well, but wait a second. Yeah. Uh, you're doing something to your breast to cause your uterus to contract, and you think that means if you put something on your cervix, it will go to your breast? I'm just saying uh, I'm curious. That's not of a compute connection. at all. <laughs> I'm just saying I, there's a, if there's a line in one direction, I'm wondering about the other. No, absolutely not, and it's not a line. It is a muscular contraction ca- caused by suckling. Mm. We are looking for a muscular contraction caused by a physical action, suckling. You didn't apply an herb to your breast and your uterus contracted. Am I right? Right, right. Yeah. Can you see the difference? Yeah, I do. Okay. In fact, it's a good way to um, increase labor is through stimulation of the nipples. Mhm. It's a good way to increase sensation during orgasm. But not by putting herbs on the nipples, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. You're not going to go to your lover and tickle your lover's nipples with some parsley. and say, wow, isn't that exciting? I mean, I'm not saying that it might not be exciting, but not like the way we're talking about, right? (laughs) Uh, The half-truths are the easiest ones to fall for. Yeah, I was just curious. I'm I'm so glad I asked. Yeah. Because they kind of have this half light on them that makes them seem like, hmm, maybe it is, but no. 
Nope. So well, far, I know when I hear when I hear right? things like no, that, it I, doesn't it doesn't go that way, and that's the, yeah. I, that's my whole yeah, about yoni steaming too. It's like okay, you know, mm-hmm. you want to do that, that's fine, but it's not doing anything. Okay, right. That's that's always my go-to. Is is this is this thing going to help, or is it going to hurt me? And if it's going to hurt me, I'm not going to do it. But if it might not help me, and I want to do it, maybe I I want to try it. I mean, that's yeah, sort right. of, that's not, it's okay. Right? No problem. Perfect. If I have this affinity for it and I feel like, well, I kind of want to try it, that's what try my, it. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm, I just wondered about that. I mean, I don't have anything in particular. There's no herbs. I don't remember. It was just something that came across my purview. So thank you. Thank you for taking the time tonight. And thank you for the reminder earlier about the joy in life. It's just so wonderful to be on this call and hear you. I, I really appreciate it. My, I hope to get up, out there and, and, and I was talking to a friend and I said, we should drive up there and do something with Susan Weed. So <laughs> I appreciate you so much. There are still a few classes left this year, so it's not too mm-hmm. late. Let's see, what do we have? End of September, we have two favorite classes, in fact, coming up at the end of September. We have um, mind-bending plants and magical plants. And then in mm. October, season roots and adaptogens. Yay. All right. Oh, definitely look those over. Thank you so look. much. Yeah, wisewomanbookshop.com is where you'll find the classes. So enjoy. Thanks, Susan. Thank you so okay. much. Hey, Thanks for calling. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. Nighty-night. All right, and the caller that has pressed one to raise their hand has dialed in from the 808 area code. From the 808, you are live with Susan. Should I talk? Hi. Hi. Um, I have a question about uh, life, like how do you take care of them and make sure, and and how do you make them go away? What kind of lice are they, and where are they living? My hair. The lice are living in your hair. So, you know, this is kind of difficult because what's happening is that this is a life form, right? These lice are actually alive, and they want to stay alive, and they don't like being killed. So Mm -hmm. it's not easy to kill them. You can't just like wash your hair and say go away. That's not going to happen, right? Now, your mama can get a really fine-toothed comb and she can comb through your hair and she can get the lice and their eggs and wash her hair. She has to do that like, oh golly gee, every day and it's kind of tedious and you might scream and cry and make a fuss, but you wouldn't do that, right? You'd let her take care of that. Because if you don't have the time or you don't let her do that, then basically the only other thing you can do is kill them with some kind of poison. Yeah. Yeah. And some people just go to the store and they buy the poison at the store because it's in a, a dose that should be safe, a dose that's been tested. And because we know that that particular chemical will 
kill the lice. And so long as you wash everything, you know, all the pillows and everything where there could be lice eggs and make sure nobody else in the house has them, then really just one, one application usually is enough to kill them. The, the, more, the more natural, but I don't think it's a very natural thing to do, is to use essential oil. And I've, and I've seen people, you know, put essential oil in a carrier oil and rub it all over a child's scalp and then put like a shower cap on it to kill the lice. And again, you have to do the whole thing with making sure that nobody else in the house has them and all the eggs are gone and everything is, is taken care of. But a lot of kids get like really itchy scalps and weird like scalp like rashes and essential oils are like really kind of caustic. Even I would say that the essential oils are like stronger and worse for you than the than the actual chemical that kills them. So we got yeah, three choices. Three choices. First, you're able to sit still or let your hair be cut and get that lice and eggs out every day. Shampoo, shampoo. Do it every day. Do it every day until there's no more lice and eggs. Make sure everything around is all free of lice and eggs and you're home free. Kill them with chemical from the drugstore or kill them with essential oil. Got it? Yeah. Well, are there any, like, herbs that they don't like? Like, if you like, like, like rosemary or, like... No. No, there aren't. That's it. One, two, three. Comb them out or kill them with chemicals or essential oils. Now, essential oils are drugs made from herbs. But putting herbs on your head is just going to make them happy. Yeah, and also, um, like, is there anything to, like, make it feel better? Because, like, when, um... Oh, because, isn't like, it, when... it itches and it hurts? Plantain can help take away the itch. Plantain oil can help take away the itch. But the best thing to do is get rid of them as soon as possible. Yeah, I like, um, and thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for calling and sharing with us. Green blessings. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Okay, so. I used to actually do a class on lice and fleas and ticks and chiggers and parasites and things like that. It was just too awful for people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, <laughs> and it's interesting because, of course, you know, you read herbals from 100 years ago. It was one of the primary things that they were dealing with was all of the mm. stuff that, it, that gets on people and that bites people and hangs around people. And, and I'm like... Oh, I'm so glad as an herbalist that I don't have to deal with that. And then you think back, oh, my gosh, it wasn't even that long ago when there were human fleas. Wow. Mm. Have you ever heard of a flea circus? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's not so far in the past that you haven't heard of a flea circus, not that you've ever seen one, because throughout our lifetimes, human fleas have been extinct. Oh, my goodness. Thank goodness. But our oh. ancestors had fleas. Wow. 
Mm. It just mm. makes you want to rise, doesn't it? Exactly. When someone yeah. rather when somebody finds a tick, everyone engages in ticanoia. You immediately think, I'm coming to tick some of where is it, where is it? So, there is that. There, right, there is that about the creepy crawlies that we all feel, ooh, ooh, ah, creepy crawly, crawly, creepy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and rightly so, and rightly so, that we check each other and help each other with all of that. Good survival instincts. Mm-hmm. Right, and what do we see the monkeys doing? Oh, yeah, they're always picking and grooming each other. Mm-hmm. License, please. Oh, they're, wow. And what is what is a louse egg called? It's called a knit. And someone who gets into the details is knit picking. Mm. I love it. <laughs> right, which is how you yeah. get rid of them. Don't have chemicals or, you know, concentrated herbs in the form of essential oils is you have to pick the knits. You have to come through the hair, wash it, get the eggs out, come through the hair, wash it, get the eggs. You have to do it every single day till they're finally gone. Mm, my goodness. Goodness gracious. Don't we live in relaxing times? Because <laughs> <laughs> that sounds very tedious, as you said. <sighs> very tedious. Wow, dentists, showers, no rice, no fleas. Oh, there's so much to be thankful for. So very, very much to be thankful for. Is our guest with us? Uh, Yes, Devorah is here. Great. Okay. Devorah Spillman has been a master storyteller, perhaps a mistress storyteller. We'll talk about that. For over 30 years today, she's also an intuitive coach whose writers, creatives, and entrepreneurs find the clarity and confidence to tell their deep, authentic story, to live their purpose, and to transform their lives. Her in-story group takes people on a journey to find and manifest their soul's calling and bring their story mission and message out into the world. Devora has clients all over the world following their calling, writing books, and building businesses based on the deep work that accesses their inner story and the power to integrate and use all parts of ourselves. If you've ever been told you have to tell your story to succeed and wonder how to do it, wonder no more. Dora will take you within to find and tell your story and access your soul's calling through her signature in the story process. Devorah takes women writers, creatives, and entrepreneurs within to access authentic stories and bring them out into the world where they can make a difference, transforming businesses, lives, and the world. Welcome to the show, Devorah. Thank you. Glad to be here. You know, I um, know that when I'm the master of something, I have mastery. <laughs> but when I'm the mistress of something, I have... Haha, <laughs> mystery. No. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put women back into our language. <laughs> uh, 
part of the story. Absolutely. I mean, that is mostly who I work with are women, and especially the women I'm passionate about, like myself, are over 50, and I think it's bringing our wisdom in wise women back into the front of leadership with our unique stories and experiences and truly wisdom and and honestly bringing wisdom back into the culture. I feel like it's lost its place and value in many ways in our culture. And often wisdom is given over through the telling the story of an experience. Someone said you can't Google wisdom. (laughs) You can't Google wisdom. Hmm. And how has this been lost? Where do we get lost from it? Well, I think it's because we started to devalue story. Like it, it really, if you think of, in a sense, a little by soapbox of how the American educational system got started was to create workers for industry, and they needed obedient people to do jobs. And you know, I used to say, like, if you think about people who go into corporate, it's almost like they said, "Please hang your story up at the door." and come in and be a clone, kind of. Like, come in and, and take on the party line and do what you're told and be an obedient worker. And so I think we created some aspects of our system that did not value our unique stories because they're sort of not efficient, right? Well, actually, you know, I'm thinking back to, like, my parents' generation. And actually, they were encouraged to make the place they were working their story. Right. But and they got retirements and gold watches and, and they, you know, mm-hmm. and people actually worked at one job for their entire lives. Mm-hmm. And so it was their story. And so I right. think that it, that you're quite right. But I also see that it's not just the industrialization, which can go forward with story and was in fact initially very storied but the fragmentation well and and also now it's like it's very easy to get information quickly and so that's like wisdom is a slower more experiential process and we're sort of i heard someone else talking about moving from So moving from repetition, you know, education for repetition, and then the digital age for information, and then moving into wisdom experience. And so I think that, like, women and especially elders, both women and men, we have wisdom and stories and often life experience that we didn't get to um, focus on when we were younger. Like, maybe we were creative or intuitive or psychic or you know, something like that and or a healer, and we didn't get to manifest that as our career. And then as you get older, it's like you finished some whole section of your life, and now you actually get to bring back that aspect of you that you didn't develop. And I think when the difference is, like, just like here we are meeting each other and people listening in this Internet world is now we have a way to find our tribe in a way that we couldn't before. And I, I think this is having an effect as well. That sounds like it, it's having um, a good effect, though. 
that you yeah, can, yeah. That's a good you can contact more yeah. more women over 50 and encourage them to share their story. Right. This is the good part because when we try to share our intuitive, creative, vulnerable, empathic, feeler selves with whoever happened to be handy when we were younger, often that didn't go so well. Right. Put it mildly often. As one of my teachers said, you were looking at your mom's aura and you pointed at her and said blue and she said no arm. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. You know, or my one of my clients who said it took her a while to realize that the, nobody in her family saw the other people at the ta- sitting at the dinner table with them. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it so becoming able to honor like your soul's calling that maybe you you know maybe you launched your career you launched your family and you still feel bright and bushy tailed and you're ready to do something, but what? And that's part of what I have found really exciting about this Internet world is that I I can create a tribe of women who can find each other from all over the world and support each other to bring that deeper, more, like more authentic soul message out into the world, support it until it gets shaped into something that has enough form and strength and confidence that it can then go make a difference for the next person. Absolutely. Without a doubt. For me, it is one of the foundations of the wise woman tradition is that healing is nourishment and one aspect of nourishment is story. Being heard and active listening. Yeah, yeah. And and I'll tell you such an interesting thing that I have noticed in the, you know, almost 10 years now I've been doing this online um, storytelling coaching um, work is that I will ask of any group of people, including you and your listeners, have you ever been moved by somebody's story, by someone telling you their story? And, of course, everybody says yes. Everyone says yes. But then I say, but will some, do you believe people will be moved by your story? And then they pause, and they're not sure. And I think the reasons, I think there's a few reasons for that. One is because we got in trouble for being authentic when we were younger. And then the other is the funny reason, which is that almost everyone has a family member of some sort who has told them the same story a thousand times, and it's so annoying. So we don't want to be that. But the truth is we're not that. We're not that. We are really filled with tremendous wisdom from all of the times we have gotten up over and over to become the visionaries and the creatives that we are now. So it, it requires some, a supportive environment in order to be able to practice telling your story and getting positive feedback so that you come to believe that what you have to say really will move another person and make a difference. That makes sense. Do you resonate with that? Absolutely, absolutely makes sense. Yes, yes, and 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 not just that you that your story will move them, but that you can present it in a moving way. Right, which is not not very hard if the story is moving. And what I have discovered is, I when I entered into this coaching world after being a performing storyteller. 
I landed in a program that taught me how to host a telesummit. And I didn't even know what it was in the beginning, but it turned out to be such a perfect fit for me because I love people's stories. So I began by interviewing people who had already established businesses. And once I started my own Instory Way year program, and I've been going for a little bit, it dawned on me that it was my telesummit. It's now called the Instory Show. And I could do anything I want with it. And I turned to my clients. I said, I'm putting you on my show. And they all said, no, no, we're still not doing that. I said, oh, yes, you are. They said, we're not speaking on some international interview series online for the world to see. I said, oh, yes, you are. And so now all of my clients become speakers on an international interview series. But the difference is this model is how we find our tribe because the people who listen choose to sign up for it. So nobody signs up unless they're interested. So you're preaching to the choir. You're, you're speaking and sharing to an audience that are interested in this general area, whatever it is. And so, like, I'll give you an example. Like, the last one I did had a really crazy title. It was called um, Quantum Imagination. And the one coming up next is going to be called Out of the Blue, A Whole New Way to Find your story, tell, find your voice, tell your story, and share your wisdom with the world. Like, what does it mean when something comes to you out of the blue? And so the people who sign up for that are going to be interested to hear these unusual, deep, creative, slightly woo-woo, you know, I say woo-woo and proud stories, because otherwise they wouldn't sign up. So this is a big, big difference, because now we are telling our stories and sharing our wisdom with our tribe, who are maybe a few steps behind us, who we can help, as opposed to trying to tell it to people who tell you to shut up because that's stupid. There's a big difference. Yes, of course, it's one of the reasons why I do story sharing in a talking stick ceremony where no one is allowed to say anything to you. Mm-hmm. Right. You feel received. Right. You create a safe um, atmosphere. And so, you know, what I make them do is definitely more terrifying than that because I interview them and they have to offer a free gift and they have to, you know, and I produce the show and that. But here's the thing. I really believe we are being called to come out of hiding and dare to be seen for who we really are. And I think the world needs our wisdom our insights are caring. And when I say to women who I work with, do you feel like you're being called to something more? And they'll say yes. And feeling like you're not going to be let off the hook till you do it. And they're like, yes. I don't know how. And I say, right, that's fine. I know how you have, but you have to step up and, and, and be willing to open up and I do a lot of guided work with receiving, you know, higher guidance and imagery and metaphor and intuitive things and learning how to honor that other realm and speak of it. Um, you know, and I, I take them through what I call shift, shape, and share, like shifting out of the old story that says you can't play bigger, you can't do it, no one's going to like what you have to say, shifting out of your old story, starting to shape the content of your soul's calling and the higher wisdom that you get, that intuitive information that we get and we love and we don't think we can share. And then you have to shape that into something and name it and 
be able to turn it and give it form. And when you do that, your wisdom turns around and makes a difference for the next person. And that is extremely meaningful. It's part of how we leave a legacy. It's how we make a difference. And it's extraordinarily fulfilling to do that. It is. Tell us a little more about your story. So... I'll probably have to tell you a story. <laughs> but <laughs> what, um, <laughs> when, I was, when I was 18, I was working as an assistant in a preschool. And all my life I had told my parents I want to be a nursery school teacher. And I did work with young children for many, many years um, in all kinds of areas. And so I was on the playground with, playing with the children and I was chasing them, and they were going, man, 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 you can't get me, which I really hate. So I said, okay, if you want me to chase you, say, iggledy-biggledy-boo. Oh, I don't know. It just came out of my head. So they're going, wiggly, 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 and finally, I'm so tired. They said, okay, sit down. I'll tell you a story. And out of my mouth comes, once there was an iggledy-biggledy-boo that lived in Zambadoodle. Don't ask. I have no idea. This just started coming out of me. I'm making up the story. and you know, about this little Zambadoodle where the grass is purple and the sky is yellow and the sun is blue. And then the next day they begged me to tell it again. And every day, and the wildest voice who would never sit for anything would, would sit for as long as I would tell that story. And I just never stopped telling that story. I still tell that story. And, and it led to, you know, I, it, it led to my developing in, in theater and in performing and being a storyteller in the schools and, eventually writing my undergraduate thesis on the importance of imagination and learning, which I still believe in, which is still not being taught. And, you know, now with adults, I, instead of going into the schools, I now take adult women and lead them into a process of accessing what I call spiritual imagination. And that's like a free pass. So science won't criticize you if it's imagination and neither will theology. So imagination has gotten a bad rap when it's extraordinarily powerful, but it's also a free path. And so I teach people how to access this higher realm of content that we can all access and receive. And and I used to do it when I made up stories. I would be sitting around at home with my hand over my eyes going, I really am working. And I would be making up a story to go with the curriculum in the school that would create a transformation in the children that would allow them to embed whatever they were learning on a deeper level. And that's what image and metaphor do in combination with stories. And you'll see all our ancient traditions use parables and metaphors and images and stories to give over um, mystical, sacred content about the invisible realms because you have to dress it in something. And, um, and it's also the language of the subconscious is image and metaphor. So when you access that, you access an extraordinarily powerful form of communication, both that you receive and then that you give over. I am so glad that we <laughs> totally agree that image and metaphor really drive us and drives us at our deepest level. And so I want to talk to you mm-hmm. a little about the use of hire. The use you see, of hire. Fire? You keep saying hire. 
higher this, higher that, higher consciousness, higher this. And to me, higher is part of the problem. Because if I'm higher than you, then you're lower than me. And so I don't want to be higher. I want to expand. Because being expansive is inclusive. But So it's an expanded consciousness. It's not a higher consciousness. It's an expanded way of being, not a higher way of being. It's an expanded spirituality, not a higher spirituality. That's what I'm, that's what I'm bringing up to you because we agree that the level of metaphor is very, very deep. And when we're working with women, we must really stop and understand that all the metaphors we're given are metaphors created by men. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so we have to seriously ask ourselves, is higher the metaphor I want? And my answer is no, it's not. I want No, expanded. I agree with you. I often, it, I, I often use expanded. I love the concept of being expanded. Yes, I also about, believe it's, about six times right. in the past seven minutes. Yeah, but I also believe in both. Like I love all of them. I don't have a problem with any of them. I love expanded. I love higher. I love elevated. I, I love deep. I have a it's problem. I have a problem deep. with higher and elevated because they imply I, lower. Right, but I there's always I a less. There's always somebody I have to stomp on to be higher. There is always no, somebody but see, that's not, who isn't but good that's enough. That's not true in these realms. No, but that's it not is true in, true in those realms. realms. Otherwise, we wouldn't use that word, which is a potent symbolic word. Well, it comes from the ruler living high and their literal shit running down on the other people. That's and I'm not taking it a task in any way. I'm simply saying that we agree that the words that we use are very, very nourishing, and we have to decide what do we want to nourish. Are we going to feed junk food, which is what higher is? Higher is a kind of junk food. Are we going to take the time to actually grow and harvest and prepare real food, which is what happens when we start to be expanded? Well, I'm start to I work in a circle I just, instead of a line, a spiral. Uh, I love all of those. They're beautiful. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you found yourself telling a story, and you made a lifetime of telling a story, and now you have turned it into helping other people tell their stories. How can people get in touch with you if they want to learn about telling their story? So you have two things you can do. One is I have a brand new free workshop called, and you just have to go to tellyourstoryworkshop.com. And it's a free, literally a free five-day workshop on both wisdom and story. And it really goes into the, the fact that we have lived wisdom, we have learned wisdom, we have what I call let-in wisdom, which is that expanded consciousness, and then we have healing wisdom, heart wisdom. And so that's at polystoryworkshop.com. And then they could go to my name, Devorah Spillman, to my website to find lots of things to do there. But my newest, if you really let, let me just want tell people, to... Spillman has only one L. Is that right? Yes, Devorah Spillman, D-E-V. 
O-R-A-H-S-P-I-L-M-A-N. Right. And so that's my website. And But I just taught this and got it all shaped into a thing that people who missed it can get. And so that is my newest um, thing, which is you just go to tellyourstoryworkshop.com. And generally have a fun. Yeah. It's a wonderful, wonderful workshop. And this is part of what it's all about is this is what we do. You put out what you know so that people feel it and touch it and then gain the confidence to then take that next step to, like, invest. Like, doing a five-day workshop isn't the same as doing a whole year where you get on the show and you really step forward and out of, you know, hiding. But I don't think we know what what's possible for us until you get a taste of it. The work I do is very unusual, and it's asking us to come out of hiding and to take a stand for what we really believe and to share more powerfully and vulnerably and, um, and, to, and to acknowledge that we have real wisdom and real stories of value to share. So I hope people will get it, will come enjoy it. There's a way to reach out and connect with me as well. Um, I really believe that we are being called, especially as women over 50, but all of us, to bring our wisdom and our stories forward. So you don't have to be a woman over 50 to come to the free no, Friday no, workshop? No, 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 no. I, I just, I, you know, I, I just have a passion for our gang. But no, no, anybody can enjoy and benefit from the power of the teachings and um, and really. You know, I like what to, I like to tell people that called. woman is inclusive because it includes man, and that goddess <laughs> right. is inclusive because it includes God, and that she mm-hmm. and her are inclusive because they include he, and that I will then use <laughs> inclusive language, and I hope that everyone will feel <laughs> included when I say woman, goddess, she, and her. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> well, everyone's welcome. I just have my particular gang that's who I am and who I champion but honestly everyone everyone benefits when we share our authentic stories and live our soul's purpose it's it's so meaningful story used to be our main entertainment didn't it yes yeah yeah I mean and honestly it still is they're just in movies and TV we like we story is so prevalent it's almost like the fish not knowing it lives in water like story is how we are humans we we don't know who each other is we don't know without our stories we don't have color to us we don't have liveliness we don't we we aren't interested in the world without stories they are they are everything human we are starving for them just that the personal stories shared between people to give over wisdom and transformation is growing again in a new way. But honestly, we've always had stories of entertainment. And even now, think about it. I am always, always awed every month when we have Moon Lodge that women are so nourished by sitting and mm. listening to other stories. Isn't that amazing? It, that's beautiful you do that. Wow. It's, and it's something that we all can do because mm-hmm. 
this is a very important nourishment for us as women. And as you say, at this time, when we are called upon to give so much, it is critically important that we know how to nourish ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I'm Jewish, and I often think that we our central core teaching is a story, right? And we, I think, my, my, I've Holocaust people in my background, and I thought, I feel like we healed ourselves by telling our stories. And it's such a big part of my tradition and my faith and my culture is story is so intermingled into our people and our way and and I and, and I think that's true for so many traditions. Yes, it absolutely is. Wow. What haven't we talked about that you want to talk about tonight? I guess and I think we really touched a lot of what really matters, but I think trusting that your story will tell itself if you give it a chance. Hmm. Do you find... Like my workshop's not called Tell a Story Workshop. Tell your no, story. But sometimes your story might be a story you learned, childhood, or a story that's given to you from your soul, from your inner being, from your intuition. So being open and trusting to a more expanded consciousness about where stories come from and what they, and how do you integrate all these parts of lived stories and learned stories and intuitive stories together, they shape into something that really is somewhat magical and deeply moving and healing. Out of the blue. Out of the blue. That's you, the in-story show that you can also find in the in-storyshow.com. Out of the blue, because don't you find a, a lot of amazing things? We say they came to us out of the blue. And what does that mean, that it comes to us out of the blue? I Sometimes I think it's because we didn't plan for it and we don't know how to explain it. I also know that um, color words in most cultures, the blue isn't a color name that comes right away, and we think maybe people don't don't see it. So something coming out mm. of the blue would be coming from something you didn't see. You know, the right. Iliad and the Odyssey talk about the wine-dark seas, right? Like the sea was red. Mm. So blue mm. is, this, like a, is, is this a loose color. Mm-hmm. And you think yeah. about, you know, a, a lot of Aboriginal art is black, white, yellow, red, mm. Mm. occasionally green, rarely blue. Mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, yeah, well, I, because I, I I've been fascinated by this out of the blue, and partly it's because I have a fascination with evil eye culture, and the way you keep the evil eye away is with blue. Mm. Well, 
I have a feeling I'm going to have some interesting conversations on this topic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Devorah, I could talk to you endlessly. You're a wonderful storyteller, and I so appreciate you and what you're doing and all the offering. So... um, Let's just remind everybody that you're offering a free five-day uh, Write Your Story workshop. And tell, they your can story. tell your story. Tell your story. Tell your story. Tell your story. Tell, tell, tell it. Tell your story. It's called and that's Tell Devorah, Your Story Workshop. <laughs> and that's at Devorah Stillman, 1L, S-T-I-L-M-A-N, 1L, 1N, uh, dot com. Right. S-P is in Paul Stillman. Right, and they can also go to tellyourstoryworkshop.com and find the workshop there. Tellyourstory.com, that makes it really easy. I don't know if you have heard a little story that I tell. It's a story I've been telling for a very, very long time. And the story I tell is that we are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients. And that each one of us has the ability to add to this cloak that we are reweaving. And I want to thank you tonight Mm. for the beautiful work that you are doing on the weaving of this cloak and how many Mm. weavers you are bringing Mm. to this reweaving because it truly is Mm. a weaving of stories as much as it is Mm. a weaving as threads. Thank you so much, Mm. Laura. So beautiful. Love that. Sarah Ellen, thank you for helping me to restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. And hey, what's the word of the evening? Joy. You can make it into a story and tell it as a bedtime story to yourself. (laughs) Good night and green blessings, everybody.